Uh, Jim is sick. Need to pray for him. Hope that he feels better come the weekend. And really hope that he feels better in the morning. As you would expect, he was starting to feel bad after being around conference, being around all these people that you're hugging and being around them for four days that you're going to pick up something. And he definitely picked up something. So I had told him I had something I wanted to do in Mark, which kind of was my cue that I was the next man in line. And it also happens that last week at the conference, Elder Skeppel preached on the parable of the sower, which is part of what I was doing. So what I'll do is scoop up a little bit of what he did and then continue on with, uh, with where I was going to go with, which is the, uh, the Great Commission. So let's pause for a moment and, uh, and pray, and then we'll get started. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. We thank you for this opportunity again to worship you here in the building you've provided for us. And we pray, Father, that the words that I say tonight would be the words that you would have me say. We pray that the words will bring you glory and that the saints here will say, what a God we serve. We pray, Father, for our pastor. We pray that you will bring him a healing soon and that he will be back with us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, tonight is in Mark. And if you would turn, please, to Mark chapter 16. This is going to lead to the uh, Great Commission. Beginning at verse 9, we have, Now after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. After that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along their way to the country. They went away and reported it to others, but they did not believe them either. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. So this is the great commission to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. Now we see Mark here covered a lot of ground and he covered it really fast. We see that up on verse 11, when they heard that he was alive, they refused to believe it. But understand, they did not actually see Jesus alive. They just did not believe the report. After that, he, that is Jesus, appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along their way to the country. They went away and reported it to others, but they did not believe them either. Notice the two that actually talked to Jesus believed in who he was. But when they reported it to others, the others who did not have the opportunity to see Jesus didn't believe it either. Now, two Sundays ago, we heard Elder Morris 
preach on the three tenses of grace, which I thought was great. I never heard it framed quite that way before. He preached on past grace, that is uh, election and predestination. He preached on present grace, as we're dealing with it in our lives today. And then he preached of a future grace, a grace with heaven, a grace with a new heart, and a grace around his throne. Elder Ward also once preached that what God did, he does, and what he does, he will do. And therefore, we are safe in whatever tense we talk about God. And then to go to the Bible to pull some quotes, Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in Numbers 23.19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, will he not do it, or has he spoken, will he not make it good? God's perfect word continues into the future because God has no tense to him. Time means nothing. Therefore, the commission of go into the world and speak, this is a future tense also for the creation. It's not just Jesus speaking to the 11, telling those 11 to go ahead and preach the word. But he's also speaking into the future because he says, uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And clearly there will be creating and people being born in the days that follow. So it doesn't all come to an end when the 11 are done. Uh, The instruction continues for us and we are instructed to carry on and to preach the word. That is an instruction to all of us. He's not just speaking to preachers. And we saw this last night on Second Peter in the very first verse when we saw Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> the ESV calls this a faith of equal standing. And this, again, is license for us to go to the commission where he says to go into don't go to all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He's not just talking to apostles. He's not just talking to preachers, because in Second Peter here he talks about the faith being equal to everybody that he's talking to. That the faith that Peter has is equal to the faith of the people he's writing to. And that leads us to the parable of the sower. Elder Skeppel preached on this last week for three nights and did a wonderful job. Uh, I don't know if it's up on the internet yet, but if you haven't heard it, it's certainly worth seeing. Uh, He preached deep, like looking at a diamond. He looked at every part of it, looked at this side, that side, this angle, that angle, and he was terrific. Well, it's not my nature to look at things that close. I like to pull back and see the big picture. So that's what, uh, what I'd like to use the parable for tonight. So if you turn to Mark 4, we'll look at the parable of the sower. And it reads again, He began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, 
and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him and the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And then he proceeds to explain it to them. The sower sows the word. So this tells us that the seed and the word are basically used in the same concept here. That identifies what the seed is about. And these are the ones along the path where the word was sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have little or no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Now I'd like to split some of this up. If we go back to 3, verse 3, I have a footnote here that I think is worth it. This is uh, Isaiah 55:10. And in Isaiah, he says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now you can break that up in half. And see that the first half is rain and snow coming down from heaven, and it brings forth seed for the sower and bread for the eater. The second part of that is the word that comes down, and it does not return to him empty, but it accomplishes the purpose for which it is sent. And that involves the uh, seed from the sower here. Another point on verse 12, and this is straight out of Deuteronomy that he's pulling this from. This is... uh, Deuteronomy 29.4, but to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear, which tells you that our ability to understand or to hear or to see 
comes from God because he has not given it to us if we can't understand. And when we can understand, we give him credit for being able to do that. Note that the seed in the parable falls on the ground. It is not planted. You don't see the sower actually going out and digging holes. You don't see him preparing the soil. The seed is just falling on the ground. Just like words are scattered, uh, the seed is, is basically thrown out there, and, and what, what takes hold takes hold. And in the same way, words are that way too, because you just throw out words and, and God knows who's going to hear it, depending on how many people are in the room and how attentive they might be. You might be speaking to one person, but that's not to say that there might be 30 other people in the room that are hearing what you're saying. In that sense, the word is, is getting scattered. Mm-hmm. Words convey information. And seeds generally are thought of as something physical. But the seeds we're talking about, because it is the word that is scattered, the seeds are not physical, therefore it's not something we're going to run out of. Uh, if it's something we can count, something we can hold, something we can weigh, ultimately you're going to run out of it. But if what you have is information, what you have is the word of God, you don't run out of that. You just keep sowing and sowing and sowing. The word is spiritual and informative. And we can compare this to a teacher in a class We're all pretty much familiar, especially those of us who have been in public school. When the teacher goes up and speaks on a subject, she is basically scattering information. The students are basically the soil. And whether it works or not depends in large part on the student. Although certainly some teachers can be better than others, the information that's being scattered is basically the same information. Two plus two is four, regardless of what teacher is scattering that information. And whether the student picks up on it or not depends on the student. And, of course, we can get more complex than that. The difference in the seeds are the words of life, and the words will save. Imagine that you were the first to know that a tall building is on fire. What are you going to do? Well, you're going to get the people out of the building. You now have information that they need to know. And think about the the commission, about going to all the world and preaching. Well, in this case, you're going to the whole building and telling them the building's on fire. So what do you say? You spread the word. You spread the word that the building is on fire. You say it in a way that can be understood. It doesn't make sense to say it in German if nobody in there is speaking German. So you got to say it in a way that can be understood. And you can't necessarily shout it because those that have much experience with microphones and PA systems know you shout into something like that, it all distorts. And if you're sitting somewhere and you hear a distorted PA, you just tend to brush it off and you, and you don't listen to what's going on when, in fact, the building can be on fire. Likewise, for souls in need of saving, we need to spread the word because the building's on fire. Their souls need help. We need to say something. We need to be clear when we're speaking the word. We need to be accurate. We need to be truthful. And we need to be helpful. Some souls will struggle. On the third soil, we see that the uh, thorns grew up and their desire for other things got in the way. A lot of people just like to be problem solvers. They love a good mystery, whether it's a movie or a TV show or a book. And they will come and listen because to them, maybe they haven't heard what's being said. 
And to them, Christianity is nothing but a mystery. And they like to be able to figure out and to at least understand. So they'll show up and treat it as a mystery. And boy, have we seen that here because we've, people, we've seen people show up and ask questions and listen carefully and they seem to be right on top of things. And things go well for a while. Might even be over a year. And then all of a sudden it's like, got it figured out. Thanks, Jim. Mm -hmm. And out the door they go. It's like we were talking about the building being on fire. You know, we're not just fixing a puzzle here, but yet we see that here. And if you're the third kind of soil where uh, the desire for other things like a new mystery, something to, to tickle your fancy is what drives you, then you'll come to a church and you'll listen to the mystery and, and maybe it will stimulate you and might sit around for a while and listen and work out the mystery. But once you think you have it figured out, then you just walk away because you don't understand the seriousness of what we're dealing with because you're the soil that can't understand it. And it is frustrating to see them because we certainly have seen them in our history here. They follow something that stimulates them. C.S. Lewis once wrote, There is nothing like a dose of everyday life to distract you from the scripture. And that is certainly the truth. Anybody that sat down to do any kind of serious Bible reading, you know that nothing will get in your way quite like, I'm feeling a little hungry, or I'm thirsty, or the phone rang, or my car needs repaired, or whatever daily things in life that is getting in your way, there'll be some way for Satan to get in your way to do it. <coughs> And that's something you have to think about when you're dealing with the word and what kind of soil you are and how you're handling things. The word may speak to one while another can also hear. So the word can actually be going to many people at once. Certainly when I'm speaking into this microphone here and ultimately probably going out over the internet, who knows who's hearing? I mean, it's literally going all over the world with the internet. And I really have no idea unless somebody, you know, responds and says something back. I might say something that it that just reaches somebody or, or touches them in a way that I didn't even know they existed. But because I'm just scattering the seed here and speaking, it just works for them. <coughs> I can say this because I have had some response from people who will will contact and say that, that they really liked what I said on something. And I'm going... Well, I wish I knew exactly what it was, but they'll just say it in some vague way, thank you, and, and that really reached me. And I go, well, I, I'm glad it did, but I don't know what it was, but I guess it really doesn't matter what it was as long as it did its work. Such is the nature of scattering the seed. This. I was listening to a sermon by Kerwin Lutzer the other morning. And he mentioned something that really intrigued me and that we all need to remember. In his younger days, I think while he was in seminary, he worked at a um, rescue mission. And so rescue missions typically have some kind of structure. You know, they format things to keep people busy, but they had had their service and they were putting things away. The, the young people, primarily, who read this, were, you know, they were putting chairs away and 
they were cleaning up the kitchen from the meal that they had served, doing all this kind of stuff. And a guy walked in the door, <coughs> and he said, I want someone to lead me to Jesus Christ. Now, that's not something that you normally hear. Mm -hmm. And so he and, a, and another one of these young people were talking to this, this man who just walked off the street, not at the right time. It was after the service was over. And it turned out that he was somewhat of a drifter, and he had been picked up at some point on the highway by a truck driver. And the truck driver witnessed to him for a couple of hundred miles. And he listened and said, nah, that's not for me. The man said, look, at some point, the time is going to come. I want you to go to such and such a place and visit this rescue mission. Some of them will lead you to Jesus. And it was sometime after that where he reached a point in his life where he said, you know, he was right. And he went to the rescue mission and was ready to turn his life over to God because his life was a mess. Erwin Lutzer said, I have no idea who that truck driver was. The young men didn't know who the truck driver was. God knows who the truck driver was, but guess which one planted the seed? Even though he never saw the results. Mm -hmm. That's... Um, there, there may be many times when we have uttered words that we never know the results, but God does. I, I understand that because in my life, there wasn't a whole lot of church going <laughs> really through, through most of my family, except for my grandmother. And she was the lamp on the lampstand from the time I was born. And I knew she was a churchgoer, and uh, she was a serious churchgoer. She was there. I just knew that there was something about her that was a, a rock. Uh, it's not that I got any great teaching from her. It's just that there was a light. You know, she was the lamp on the lampstand. And, and throughout decades, I often thought about her. I don't know that she understands the effect that she had on me my whole life. But I, I do certainly hope to see her again before too long. I, I hope that she, she will be there and, uh, and tell her how, how big an effect she had on me, even though it didn't come from spending big time to me talking about the Bible or something like that, but just the fact that it was, it was there, something I could look to. There, there was light in the darkness, and the light was, was Grandma. So we're scattering the word, and depending on who I'm talking to in scattering the word, I may quote scripture. There's good things about that because you're quoting something straight from the Bible. You are preaching the word. You are quoting the word. But it is the case with some people that if you start laying scripture flat on them, they're not going to hear it. And you're going to start hearing words like Bible thumper and stuff like that because you're not going to reach them. And sometimes a person might be better reached with a, a more simpler approach. And uh, you may start saying things like, uh, Jesus saves. Do you understand what he, he saves from? And God is holy. And God is, is almighty. 
you understand the significance of almighty? As Jim has said, if, if God's almighty, how much might do you have? There is a consequence to that. And God is everywhere. And God is all-knowing. Then here's, here's the one that will get them sometimes. And, and God saves by election. And it's like, please ask me, what do you mean by that? <laughs> and the door opens and you start talking to him about God's election as opposed to saving yourself by your works. And by God saving by his election, he gets all the credit. He gets all the glory for it. And you can't take any credit. You can't beat your chest and say, look at me, look what I did. Sometimes you got to speak to people in simpler words than that. And then from that, once you get their attention, then you open the Bible. Then you start saying, let's see if what I told you is true. Let's see if that's in here. And then you bring them into scripture. But sometimes they have to be reached in a simpler way. That's why you can't use a word like soteriology with somebody if they don't know what soteriology means. I had a history teacher. I think it was third grade. I know it was. I was really young. But she, but she taught history in a way that I had no idea what she was talking about. And it didn't help that she had a thick German accent. But she would talk about the Fertile Crescent and Mesopotamia and Babylon and I'm just going, what are you talking about? Mm. And, and it was in those days that I realized that, you know, I'm not understanding this, but there's going to be a test to be had. Mm. And I can either try to learn the stuff or I can try to take the test and pass the test and just, you know, hope it's multiple <laughs> choice. <laughs> and, and that turned me into a, a professional test taker in school. And I became more of a test taker than I did a learner. But that happened because of a teacher who was teaching history in such a way that wasn't making a lick of sense. She wasn't, wasn't reaching me at all in such a way that I could understand. But then out of nowhere, after I'd given up on the idea of history and history was just something to be endured, in eighth grade, here comes a teacher and it makes sense. And he preaches it in such a way that the pieces fit together. And now instead of just knowing well, dates like when and, and what, I now start learning why and, and why things happen in certain ways. And he started explaining that in eighth grade. And once I had him, his name's Mr. Haig, probably not listening, but boy, he made a difference because from that moment on in eighth grade, all of a sudden history was a lot more interesting. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have dug into it. And, and part of understanding the word and digging into the word is really having a passion for history. So, again, you've got to speak in a way that can be understood, speaking in ways that uh, you can tell somebody that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is the Savior. And notice that when we're scattering seed like that, we're scattering seed that brings glory to him. We're not scattering seed that says, look at me, because that's the last thing you want to do is to, to come off as somebody prideful. And instead of listening to what you're talking about, about a Savior, they're watching you and what they perceive to be pride. And you don't want to even give them an open door into thinking that there's some pride involved here, especially when we're talking about the building's on fire. We're talking sin here, and we're talking about life eternal. The parable shows us that it's not our responsibility to make sure the seed grows into a healthy fruit-bearing plant. The parable of the sower just has us scattering the seed. We preach the word, we scatter the seed. God's word has no limit because we can't run out of the seed. The word continues to go on. 
Therefore, don't be stingy about broadcasting the seed. Tell people about it. And don't be hostile. Remember, we're preaching good news here. We're preaching salvation. We don't need to preach some kind of gospel with thumping and you got to do this and got to do that. We're preaching good news. And you can't throw the seed on the ground and shout grow. Seeds don't do it that way. So a seed just falls to the ground and whoever picks it up, picks it up. Whatever happens, happens. We are not told to plant each seed into the ground and water it. And we certainly can't blame the seed if it doesn't grow. The reason it doesn't grow is it's in wrong ground. And I say that along lines of I've been here 15 years and I have tried for 15 years to get friends to come here and listen to the word preached. I'd even be satisfied if they listened on the internet and not showed up in the building. I'll take that. In 15 years, I've had one person listening on the internet and another person who made it here about five weeks ago and then his job schedule changed and now he's working Wednesday nights and Sundays. So I was like, <coughs> I got him here once and now the, the work schedule changed. So in 15 years, I've managed to get two people to show enough interest to listen. Frustrating. Because the building's on fire. <laughs> but such is the way it is. Jesus tells us the success of the seed is based on the ground it's sown on. And God is in control of that. And that's good news. And that's good news because if God's in control of the ground and the ground determines the success, we know that God can change a person's heart. And if a person has a hard heart, and just can't pick it up, and just, they're just not understanding it. We know God can change that heart. Mm -hmm. We've seen that in people, and what good news that is, and I can say that's good news in my point, because I used to be thorny ground. I feel like an AA meeting here. Tom, thorny ground. <laughs> I used to have thorns in my life getting in the way of the word. One thorn in particular. And when I came to Reformed Theology and heard about being saved by God's grace alone, boy, that made all the sense in the world. And madness seed was growing in me. This, I was 38 when I first heard this. So my first 37 years, I, I'd heard nothing about God's grace. And then the thorns showed up. And sure enough, the thorns got in the way. And I would hear grace preached would drive over to Franklin to hear it. And then the 45-minute trip back to Smyrna, it just it was not fertile ground for the word to be in. Now, once the thorns got away, well, then it's a whole other story. The word, the word has certainly sprouted in big time. And I thank God that he can change the soil, that he can change the heart, because finally the word took hold in me when I came here over 15 years ago. And I was able to understand, at least somewhat back then, that I am a sinner. I had thought about getting saved, and I had thought about that it required me to do things. In fact, it seemed like it required me to do a lot of things. And it wasn't clear what it was, because as I talked to different people, they had different things. So there seemed to be a lot of confusion. And when God revealed his grace to me, 
That's another thing, God's grace. You ask people to define grace, you get all kind of different definitions. And you get a lot of wrong definitions. Grace is not just something nice. Grace is often just simply defined as an unmerited favor, a favor you don't deserve at all. You've done nothing to deserve it, but the, the favor is given to you anyway. And when God revealed grace to me and revealed that I didn't have a list of things to do to get saved, that the work is done, and it was done on the cross, and I didn't need to do anything to get myself saved, I heard those words and I thought, I must check this out in the Bible. And with the help of a good teacher, sure enough, that's, that's what the Bible says. We are saved by grace, by the grace of God, not by our own works, lest we should boast. I've been in the Bible before, back in the late 70s. I used to be, I, I guess in, in very loose terms, I can say I was part of a church out in Long Beach, California, they had a basketball team, and I was their ringer in order to help them win more games. And the deal that I made with the pastor was, I'll, I'll let you play basketball with us, but you've got to show up to some kind of a church function once or twice a month, or else it just wouldn't be fair for me to let you on the team. So I went to Bible study, not really understanding what they were talking about, not really into the doctrine that was being teached in the church, but I knew enough, and I had the Bible in hand, that I could ask questions that they couldn't answer. And it became a sport for me. And I would go to Bible study, and I would ask the questions, and they didn't know, and then I would, well, let's head off in this direction. And sure enough, they'd follow me, and we'd go off thinking something else. And it became a lot of fun to have Tom show up to Bible study because he talked in a different way from other people. And, oh, I led them on some merry chases. I'm not proud of it. That's not the thing to be doing in church, not the thing to be doing for a Bible study. But that's what I did because I didn't know any better. I did that because I'm a sinner. I did that because I loved basketball. I did that because I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know the building was on fire. I didn't know grace. I didn't know squat. I knew enough to have fun messing with Christians, though. Mm-hmm. And I did that. I'm not proud of it, but such was the soil I was. When I saw the Bible backing up God's sovereignty and grace, all of a sudden, things were making sense. Then I did what all humans do. What about me? What about me? And then comes Romans chapter 7, verse 24. O wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And the word who jumps right out at you. When you've seen other churches, don't talk about who, but they talk about what. And they talk about what church you're going to is what saves you. Or what Bible you're going or reading is what saves you. And if you read the wrong Bible, you're not going to be saved. And how much you're giving to the church. And how much good things and charity you're doing. It's not what it is that shall deliver, it's who shall deliver me. And that made it clear as a bell in Romans 7 when it says, Who shall deliver me from this body of death? It is Jesus that delivered. He came to me in the word and he saved me. And he came to me in my confusion and all my sin. 
And that's when I knew where salvation comes from. He came to me where I was. And that leads us right back to where we started. And I can now bookend this as we go back to Mark 16, 9. And back where I read right at the start where it says, Now after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. Jesus didn't come to them at that time. And after that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along their way to the country. They went away and reported it to others, but they did not believe him either. You come to know Christ. You come to know his grace when he comes to you in your sin. That way you can't take credit because you made the journey or you made the right trip or you went in the right direction. He comes to you. None believed until Jesus came to them. And once Jesus has revealed himself to you, it's hard not to want to tell people and scatter seed. And we're not talking about what's your favorite ice cream or what movie do you want to see. We're talking about serious stuff. We're talking about life eternal. We're talking about sin. We're talking about lake of fire. We're talking about a holy God who has sent his son, scatter the seed, tell people. We're talking about Jesus who died for sinners, scatter the seed, tell people, see what kind of ground it falls on. We're telling people about the hope that is in the living. Look to Jesus Christ, scatter seed. Brings up Romans 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing, scatter the seed, and hearing by the word of God. And what did our Savior tell us to do in the Great Commission? Well, the to-do list that he has given us is a short list. It's not long at all. But in the Great Commission, he makes it very clear to preach the gospel and to scatter seed and to tell people. And if they pick it up, wonderful. There's cause for celebration. And if they don't, God can change people's heart. Mm -hmm. But for now, the heart can't handle it. it. Takes all the pressure off you when you're scattering seed. Walk on to the next person. Scatter some more seed. Sometimes it's just being the lamp on the lampstand like my grandmother was. She didn't know she was scattering seed, but I knew she was there. Sometimes if you're the person that people go to, I found that in the place I used to work at for 24 years. There would be people that showed up. Some I didn't even know their names, but somebody had told them, he goes to church a lot, he reads the Bible, he seems to know something. And they've come to me with questions. Some of them I can answer. Some of them I have to point them in a direction and say, I think the answer is that way. And some of them I just have to say, let me look into this and I'll talk to you tomorrow. But people I never, I didn't even know their name, they came to me. Because somehow they figured I was the one to talk to. Because I was the guy that was doing the scattering. And even somebody that wasn't necessarily picking up on the word, somebody that wasn't necessarily believing it, knew that that guy scatters. You got a question? Ask him. Maybe he might have an answer. That was rather amazing to see that happen every once in a while. So I encourage you, preach the word, scatter the seed, 
There is much to be gained. The building's on fire. There's a lake of fire around the corner for a lot of people. And let's do what we can to scatter seed and preach the word and uh, do what we're instructed to do. This is all introduction. <laughs> it is my intention to go on to a second part on Saturday, homecoming weekend. And we will go on from here because if you notice, we, we haven't got to resurrection or anything like that yet. But that's my intention to pick up from here. And homecoming weekend is four weeks away, four or five weeks away. So it is my intention, God willing, that uh, on Saturday we will kind of pick up from where we're leaving off here and move on. So that's the plan. <laughs>